Hello and welcome to this ECFR podcast, during which we will be uh, getting an Israeli perspective on the current developments happening in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, uh, which has seen a uh, dramatic rise in uh, the use of violence by both sides, uh, which has left uh, over 30 Palestinians dead, uh, seven Israelis killed, and um, scores, hundreds, thousands of Palestinians injured, and also a large number of Israelis injured in a, a number of uh, stabbing attempts. With me to discuss the current situation is my colleague and a policy fellow here at ECFR, Mattia Toraldo. We are joined by Noam Shezaf. Noam is an independent journalist and editor who has previously worked for a number of Israeli news outlets, including Ynet and Ma'ariv, where he was a deputy editor of the Weekend magazine. He writes regularly for Plus 972 magazine. Noam, thanks for joining us. So, my first question, do you see this as a post-Oslo moment? I mean, if you look at the framework put in place um, under the Oslo Accords and the subsequent uh, peace process, a lot of this has actually served to entrench the status quo, and we've seen uh, repeated peace, peace efforts more geared at uh, conflict management rather than conflict resolution. Do you see what's happening as as this traditional uh, model for managing the conflict now breaking down? Or do you think the, the Oslo framework will be resilient enough uh, to bounce back from this and perhaps ultimately contain the violence and return uh, us to the status quo? I think that uh, if you judge by the behavior of the uh, actors on the ground, they both, uh, both sides, the Israelis and the Palestinian institutions, believe that the framework of Oslo still uh, exists. You can see that uh, not, not the Palestinian Authority and nor the Hamas uh, actually joined uh, the, not the attacks on Israelis and not the popular protest. Uh, no, the largest demonstration, the only large demonstration that we saw was within 48 in Sakhnin in, on Tuesday. So, and, and the same goes for the Israeli side, which tries to work with the PA uh, in uh, the West Bank with Hamas in Gaza to prevent an escalation and enforce uh, uh, through the army, through the military and the police law and order in uh, East Jerusalem. So I don't see it as a breakdown of the framework yet. Why do you think this is happening now? What do you think was the trigger? I think we have multiple re layers of reasons uh, that can account for what's going on. Obviously, there's a growing cost to maintaining the status quo. You can see uh, that the events in Gaza and the West Bank are uh, more frequent than they were in the past. Uh, uh, we can now, in hindsight, know that uh, 2009 to 2012 or 13 were the uh, the relatively uh, uh, calmer, relatively calmer years on the ground. And if there was a real window of opportunity for uh, the Oslo framework to end up in an accord, it was back then. Right now, there's a, a, a growing intensity in the violence that's been going on for quite a while. So these events are not that uh, uh, different from what we've seen in the, for example, last summer. What's different and new is uh, the wave of the stabbing attacks. There were more 
more than 20 of these. And I think uh, here the the explanation lies elsewhere. It's in uh, the way this uh, the context is being framed in social media. It's the effect of the Arab Spring and uh, and the news and the conversation that it generates in social media. And, and this is why things feel a bit out of control for both sides because uh, you cannot explain and you cannot control the uh, the uprising through the through, through the usual means and the usual ex- institution that existed so far. Um, going back to what you were just talking about uh, in terms of the the public conversation on both sides. Now, to what extent extent do you see um, what is happening as being driven by public opinion, especially in terms of the way that uh, Netanyahu and his government has sought to to respond? To what's happening, and the same with uh, with President Abbas, and there was this recent uh, polling uh, in Israel, which showed uh, I think seventy three percent of Israelis were dissatisfied with Netanyahu, and actually would have pref- would prefer a stronger approach. We see obviously this rightward shift in Israeli public opinion that's been going on now for for, for years. Um, the the calls from Israeli public for you know revenge, basically, and some quarters. Um, and up until now, Netanyahu has been perhaps a bit more of a break in terms of uh, escalating. But how much longer do you think he can actually hold out before he's forced into to ramping up? So I don't think there's a, ma- a lot of maneuvering room for Netanyahu as long as he treats this issue as a law and order problem, something that it should be contained to the military and the army. You can only work with what the army proposes and uh, the the military uh, and the police reached the conclusion that uh, punitive measures against the entire population will backfire. So you can see harsher and harsher measures against Palestinians who were involved in uh, in attacks. You can see uh, a, a basic a free basically a free hand for civilian security forces to shoot anyone uh, who's taken part in an attack, even if he or she were uh, no longer uh, posing risks to anyone. Uh, And uh, uh, also measures against the families and business owners of of, uh, attackers. For example, uh, yesterday we had... uh, in uh, in Jerusalem, the, the municipality distributed fines for all sorts of uh, negligible issues like uh, anti-smoking signs or, or, or intruding into the pavement for stores owned by relatives, even distant relatives of people who committed the attacks. But these still are a, a targeted measures against perpetrators and their families. And right now, uh, the government didn't even impose a full closure on the West Bank, as uh, the people both on the right and the left demanded. I wouldn't say that Netanyahu uh, is putting his leg on the brakes. And I I only say that Netanyahu's policy is containment. And, And... and if you're dealing with containment, then obviously 
you're not going to turn to the diplomatic channel and you're not going to start a new military campaign the way uh, 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 Ariel Sharon started in the second Intifada. You have very few options and these are the options that Netanyahu is working with. Is the Israeli center-left, so to speak, offering an alternative to Netanyahu's plan? There is no alternative right now. Netanyahu uh, and his government need more position from the right than from uh, the left. I think that if the events take uh, take long enough, you can see a narrative emerges on on uh, on the left blaming uh, Netanyahu for uh, not uh, being uh, resilient or determined enough in pursuing an agreement with the Palestinians, but. Uh, uh, this is not a meaningful political stand at the moment. Uh, right now, Netanyahu is accused both by the right and the left for not generating a sense of security uh, or for the loss of the sense of security among Israelis. But he's not blamed for missing out on peace or for prolonging the, the occupation. In this scenario, do you think there is any opportunity for de-escalation? Yes, I think there is. Uh, the escalation can come in various forms. It could be the result of, uh, you know, uh, these waves of violence can die just as uh, as, the, as they uh, uh, start. Uh, two days ago was the most violent day since this uh, escalation began, but yesterday was a relatively calm day. So far today, nothing serious happened. Uh, but it's only a matter of one successful attack to create the, the feeling that things have gone south again. Uh, the, the, there is some effect, a short-term effect is always achieved by uh, gathering massive forces in areas of uh, a confrontation. Uh, the government, Israeli government, authorized the use of military inside the the Green Line, inside 48, and uh, so you have the army now in uh, East Jerusalem. Not, technically, it's not the, inside the Green Line, but it's annexed territory, it's Israeli territory. So you have the army operating there in various other places, uh, and I think in the very short term, you're gonna ha- you're gonna see some effect from these measures, but these are not long term measures. At the same, I th- also think that if Netanyahu was uh, willing to work with the uh, uh, public leaders on the Palestinian side, both within the Israeli-Palestinian society, the, or the Palestinians of 48, but also in the West Bank, uh, 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 if he was willing to work with the Palestinian Authority, I think that um, if there was a feeling on the Palestinian side that the Israeli side got the message and was earnest in his attempt to uh, reach an agreement or to to rethink some of the arrangements on the ground, maybe some of the momentum would have been taken uh, out, but then you would face uh, other um, confrontations with all the stakeholders that don't want to change the status quo. So returning uh, to my initial uh, question about the Oslo framework as a perhaps more of a conflict management system as part of, as part of this, um, U.S. Secretary of State Kerry is likely to make a visit to Israel in the coming uh, weeks or months. Uh, we've also seen the Europeans floating various uh, diplomatic initiatives, whether it be at the United Nations Security Council in the form of a French uh, resolution or uh, perhaps an expanded uh, quartet or international support group. Um, from, um, from your perspective, what would you hope 
or expect in terms of international engagement uh, in, the, in terms of uh, something that's actually likely to produce a positive result and help towards de-escalation? I think that in many ways this train has left the station. The international engagement should have come uh, four years ago or five years ago, even two years ago when CARE started admission, if it was uh, accompanied by real sticks uh, and not just endless shuttle diplomacy, then something could have been achieved. But the way things are moving, moving there's such a, a lack of willingness to confront uh, the government in Israel and to some extent other uh, other uh, stakeholders uh, on the issue of uh, the peace talks that uh, nothing nothing really happened back then uh, right now i don't see a strong political base on either side for um, for an agreement naturally my view is that uh, most of the cards are in the israeli side so if you want to produce something you need first and foremost to think of how you generate some action on the Israeli side. I think the, the, the process in Europe moves very, very slow and is affected by the internal problem, by the refugee crisis and by um, other issues that Europe is, is, is finding very difficult to come up with a coherent policy on, an, on, an, on a whole array of topics. So, um, so I don't see anything moving there right now and... Uh, Especially, I don't see any willingness on part of the United States to for a meaningful engagement uh, with this issue after what happened to the Kerry process. I think uh, those missions that you mentioned that might come, or those visits, high-profile visits that might come to Israel and Palestine, are more about containment and uh, preventing the conflict from spilling over to Jordan, from being affected or affecting the Syrian conflict other such uh, problems. I don't see anything meaningful materializing right now. Hemi Shalev, one of the most famous uh, Israeli journalists yesterday, was talking of denialism over the occupation. And in fact, no one on the Israeli side mentions anymore uh, the occupation. Uh, can Europe do anything to, to change this state of denial uh, on the idea that either the occupation doesn't exist and the, the source of violence is incitement, or that, after all, one can get away with the occupation, just mowing the lawn whenever there is uh, too much violence. Yes, I think there are many measures that uh, Europe can, can take in order to uh, uh, hold Israel accountable to the issue of the occupation. Not just even, but, but not just even all uh, Israel accountable, but even uh, uh, um, create a positive momentum. Uh, I think that if uh, Europe would have limited uh, its dealings with Israel on economic and other levels to the 67 borders, if it uh, would have hold Israel accountable to the human rights clauses in the trade agreement between uh, Israel and Europe and, and various other measures, uh, I think that you would have seen some response on the Israeli side. I also think that the image of the of the the denial over the occupation has been dented a bit because of Palestinian violence and and, and uh, Israelis are for the first time uh, uh, actually discussing the Palestinian issue for the, seriously for the first time in a long time 
although it's mostly security-oriented debate, the way the dynamic worked in the past is that the security-oriented debate or the debate of incitement ultimately leads to some certain recognition uh, of the facts. Obviously, I'm not calling for Palestinians to be violent. I hope for a peaceful resolution of the conflict. So the kind of measures that Europe and the United States theoretically uh, uh, can take can substitute uh, violence and even prevent it. The problem is that those measures uh, uh, require a determined policy, uh, the participation of many many stakeholders, all the all the member states, and and a willingness to invest some uh, uh, political capital. And the the real question we need to deal with is not what measures. I think the measures are obvious to anyone who's dealing seriously uh, with this conflict. I think the, the real question is whether someone is willing to invest political capital in this issue. Noam, thanks for that. A very excellent uh, overview of what's happening at the moment on the ground in Israel-Palestine and for your perspective, uh, especially valued. Um, for everyone else, if you're interested in uh, our work at ECFR and on Israel-Palestine and the Middle East, then feel free to visit our website ecfr.eu forward slash Mena. Mm-hmm.